This week, we are tackling another large portion of Scripture in our study in Genesis. We've been looking at the life of Joseph, and this week we're in chapters 46 and 47. And just by way of heads up, if you're going to be with us next week, we're going to close out our study with chapters 48 through 50. So read ahead next week and be ready um, to close it out with us. So our study of the life of Joseph started in chapter 37, and it started... in part with Joseph's dream. Joseph's dream was that his family, all of his brothers and his father, would would one day bow down to him. So Joseph had this dream twice, shared the dream twice with his family. Uh, His brothers already were bitter with Joseph and uh, jealous because he was his father's favorite. Uh, And so what what happened after this in, in the story of Joseph Uh, was that his brothers sold him into slavery to get rid of him. So following this great dream that his family would bow down to him and Joseph would would one day be a leader, um, following that was slavery, false accusations, jail, and then ultimately uh, a rise to power in Pharaoh's Egypt. This week... Um, we are going to see the dream that Joseph had in chapter 37 come true. Uh, We see Jacob move to Egypt with his family, and we see even more of God's blessings on Jacob and his family. And in these, we see, again, as we've talked about every week, that God is faithful and true, that God is sovereign, sovereign over the nations, and that his wisdom, God's wisdom, is greater than anything that we could ever Imagine, And in the end, what we'll talk about is uh, what Israel was being called to and we are being called to, and that is to trust God. So that's where we're headed. That's where we will land. I want us to pray before we get started uh, with our text this morning. And every week I ask you, I ask you again this week, pray with me. Um, it, is a, it is a blessing that we have to, to pray. Like, this is something that Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, accomplished for us. That we can go directly to the Father. So let's do that. Um, and I hope that you will pray with me. The Lord hears all of our prayers. And so this, let's lift those prayers up, praising him, asking him to do incredible things in our midst this morning. Would you pray that with me? Good. Let's pray together. Father, it is a blessing that we can pray together and so I thank you for the prayers that are being lifted up right now together we we plead with you because we are we are needy people Uh, father hear our prayers and help us today teach us today Holy Spirit encourage us today and 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 help us in the end to 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 have a clearer picture of our father to see uh, our Father in His goodness, to see um, our Savior as, as the, the beautiful gift that He is to us. Holy Spirit, help us to, to see these, not just for today, but to be reminded in the days to come of all of this so that ultimately we will, we will know our Father better and trust Him more deeply. This we pray knowing that Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to to help us. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we we won't read all of the verses this morning from 46 and 47. We'll read some chunks of it. And I want to start in chapter 46 with um, verse 1. We'll start there uh, and, and 
and read a chunk. So chapter 46, verse 1, if you have your Bible with you. Uh, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifice to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. And skip down to verse 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. So let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about God's promise and Jacob's fate. That's what we see in these first verses. God's promise and Jacob's faith. If you remember last week, we saw Joseph revealing himself to his brothers, letting his brothers know they had come to Egypt for food. Um, Joseph revealed himself to them. Joseph and even the Pharaoh sent the brothers off back to Canaan to gather their families and to gather their father and to come back to Egypt. And in Egypt, they would be taken care of during the famine. This was a promise from not only Joseph, but Pharaoh as well. So here we see Jacob's response to that. They load up all that they have in the, the wagons that Pharaoh had sent them with, and they head out. Now, this is, and we should see it this way, this is an act of faith uh, on Jacob's part. Jacob is leaving his home. He's leaving the land that God had told him would be his land. And in the past, he had told Jacob not to go to the land of Egypt. So now, now he is trusting God in this move to Egypt. They load everything up, act of faith, and they head to Egypt. There's an even bigger act of faith that we see once they reach Beersheba. Now, Beersheba, I want to talk a little bit about that from the earlier chapters of, of the book of Genesis. Beersheba was the place where Abraham um, and Abimelech, Abimelech was a ruler in the area, Ab Abraham was a sojourner, it wasn't his land, and yet in the wilderness, in, in the desert, really, in a barren place, the Lord led Abraham to a well. The Lord provided water for Abraham, and then the Lord... Um, the Lord orchestrated this, this treaty between Abraham and Abimelech, and it was a place where God was providing for Abraham. And Abraham saw it that way, and he planted a grove of trees there at that well so that he could remember who God was. God was his provider, so that he could remember the great thing that God had done that day in providing for him. Then we move forward to Genesis chapter 26, 
And it's Isaac who uncovers the well that, that his father had dug there. Here, he meets God, right? So, so at first it was Abraham and Beersheba, and now it's Isaac, and, and God meets Isaac there. And it's there that God reminds Isaac that the promises that he made to Abraham, he is passing on to him, to Isaac. And he reminds Isaac, Isaac, I've made these promises to your father. I'm making them to you. Isaac, I am with you. When we come to chapter 28, after leaving Beersheba, Jacob has a dream. And it's a dream of a ladder that extends from earth into the heavens. And the Lord is over it, over this ladder, and he speaks to Jacob. So chapter 28, beginning in verse 13, the Lord meeting him right outside of Beersheba. And behold, the Lord stood above it, stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord. The God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, God said, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's chapter 28. Beersheba is this place where God met with the patriarchs. So when Jacob arrives there now, right, in 28, he meets the Lord there, and now in chapter 46, as he is headed to Egypt, when he passes through Beersheba, this place where he met the Lord and heard from the Lord, how fitting is it that he stops to worship? And that's what he's doing. Jacob offers a sacrifice there to the Lord. He remembers. He is reminded as he comes there of the day that he met the Lord there and the promises that the Lord made. He makes an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord. This is another act of not only worship, but faith. And then when he sleeps in that place, we read that the Lord comes again to Jacob and once again comes to Jacob in a dream. Chapter uh, 46, verse 2 that we just read. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is a beautiful reminder from God of a promise that he had made years and years and years earlier in the same place. It's a reminder going back to chapter 28 in Genesis, a, a reminder of God passing the promises on from Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob. Their, 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 their promise, God is saying, their promise is yours. Their promise is yours, and I will give you this land. He promised it in 28. He's reminding Jacob again as he heads to Egypt, I will give you this land, and your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, like the sand on the seashore, and you will spread out here. You will spread out west and east and north and south, and in you and your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I am with you. Jacob, I am with you, and I will keep you, and wherever you go, I am with you, and I will bring you back to this land. I will do this because I have promised. 
Now listen, many, many years, decades and decades had passed since that promise. Jacob had married. If you remember in Jacob's story, he went and and had to live with his father-in-law in in order to marry the, the woman that he wanted to marry. Jacob had spent years working there. Jacob was was married. Jacob had children. His children were growing up. Jacob had lost his beloved Rachel, his wife. Jacob Jacob had lost Joseph, his beloved son, or, or so he thought. Jacob has had a difficult, difficult life, and now he is an old, old man, and he's nearing death. Now, can you imagine the mixed emotions that he had to have in this moment? Think about it. He thought that Joseph was gone. He thought that Joseph was dead. He thought that he would never see Joseph again. And now he has news from his sons that Joseph is alive and they're invited to Egypt where they will be taken care of. And so there is the excitement of seeing Joseph. Who could believe it? I imagine that he wrestled himself with even believing, is this true? Is it really Joseph? And then it was in Egypt, and, and, and what that meant, the Lord had said, don't go down to Egypt, and now the Lord says, go to Egypt, but he's leaving, he's leaving his home, he's leaving his land, he's, he's leaving the place that he has settled, and he's going as a foreigner to the land of Egypt. Can you imagine all of the emotions there? Can you imagine his fear as an old man? Is God not good to come to an old and frightened man and remind him in his weariness, I am with you? That's what God is doing. I am with you. I I am with you in your fear. I I am with you in your doubt. I I am with you now going to Egypt. I was with you all along. I was with you when you first dreamed in Beersheba. That was me. I was with you then, and I am with you now. I am with you even as you dream now. I promised you a land. I promised you a land. This is the land that I promised you, and I will give you this land. I promised you descendants. I promised you then descendants, many descendants, too many to number. I I, I promised that through you, That not only would you be blessed and your family be blessed, but all the nations of the world would be blessed through you. Jacob, I haven't forgotten. You are old, weary, afraid, and I am with you. I meant it then when I promised it. I meant it then and I mean it now. I will go with you to Egypt my old friend. That's the way that I imagine God speaking to him. I will go with you. And I will bring you out of Egypt. And you will die in the presence of your beloved Joseph. Jacob, I know you're afraid. I know you are worried. I know you are fearful. But I am with you. 
Can I tell you something personal? I really needed this part right here this week. When I saw those two passages side by side, chapter 28, when Jacob was young, and then this in chapter 46, when he is old and tired and uncertain and afraid, I just began to weep. Our God does not forget us ever. He was with Jacob in every difficult day. He was with Jacob in every heartbreak that he experienced. And here he is with Jacob in all of his fears and all of his uncertainty. A tired old man. Jacob, do not be afraid. I am with you. And in Egypt, I will make you a great nation. I will go with you, and I will bring you home. Our Father is not far from us, and He knows us. He knows us deeply, He knows us intimately, He knows us personally. He knows our fears and our worries and our concerns. He knows every need that we have, and He cares. So in faith, Jacob goes, and God promises. And what we see next is that God delivers on those promises. God always delivers on his promises. Chapter 46, verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation, you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that, we, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Paul's right here. Joseph is again showing his God-given wisdom in his instruction to his brothers. He, he is demonstrating a wise plan that is a, a gracious gift from God. Um, they are shepherds. We've talked about that in this series. So it, it, here's the wisdom there. They could come and live with Joseph and be treated like royalty. They could come and live with him in the capital city. But that would not be good for them. They're shepherds. They are used to being out, not being in the city, not being there. Not only would it not be good for them to come and live with Joseph, if they came and lived with Joseph, it would likely anger the Egyptians. 
that these foreigners, and we just said there were 70 of them, that these foreigners have come and they are living in Pharaoh's household, essentially, being treated better than the Egyptians. So it is wise for him to say, come, bring, bring your herds, bring your flocks, bring your things, and tell Pharaoh that you are shepherds. Telling Pharaoh that they were shepherds would not only be good, that they want the land and, and so they're not in the city, but it would also show to Pharaoh that they weren't there seeking power. They weren't there as freeloaders to take from Pharaoh and from Egypt. They would be sent to the land of Goshen. They would be away from the city. They would be away from most of the Egyptians in the outskirts of the city, and they would have more freedom there. So in chapter 47... Joseph takes five brothers in to meet Pharaoh. Pharaoh greets him. He asks, what is your occupation? Just like Joseph said that he, that he would, uh, they, they do what Joseph said. Tell him they are shepherds and his servants, they say, only desire land for our herds. Verse 5, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Like, it's all yours, Joseph, to give to your family. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So Pharaoh then meets Jacob, and, and after meeting Jacob, Joseph takes the family to Goshen, and they settle in the land of Goshen, also called the land of, of Ramses. This was good and fertile land. In fact, this was the best land in all of Egypt. They are given the best land in all of Egypt to settle in. In addition to that, and don't miss this part, Pharaoh says, listen, if they are good with livestock, put them in charge of my livestock. And what that meant for them was that they would become officers of Pharaoh. So here these foreigners come, Jacob and his sons, from a foreign land. They are given by Pharaoh the very best of the land, told to settle there, and then the sons are made officers of Pharaoh, giving them place, giving them power, and giving them even more freedom than they were already granted. God is granting God is granting to them everything that he had promised. Everything that he promised to, to Jacob, but not only to Jacob, everything that he had promised to Isaac and to Abraham. God is blessing his people. He promised to bless them, and that's what he's doing. The best of Egypt was given to them. In the next verses, um, in the next verses, I think what we see is a contrast to show the incredible extent of God's blessings to Jacob and his family. Verses 13 through 26 tell us about Joseph's um, wise plan. Again, it is an incredibly wise plan um, for the for the good in behalf of, of Pharaoh and and really for the power of Egypt. So the the famine continues. The famine continues over the course of the famine. The Egyptians, just like the rest of the world, just like Jacob, they had run out of food. Then they were buying food from Egypt. Now they run out of money to buy food, and the famine continues going. They can't grow crops. And so what Joseph begins to do is to barter with them and trade, taking their livestock for grain. And so as long as they have livestock, the Egyptians, they are bringing it to Pharaoh and trading their livestock for, for more food. 
when the livestock begins to run out for the people of Egypt and the, and the drought and the famine continue, then they begin to give Pharaoh their land. And so now Pharaoh has most all of the livestock in Egypt because of Joseph's wisdom. And now Pharaoh is gaining all of the land or most all of the land of Egypt. And then when they run out of that to barter with and the famine continues, the people of Egypt begin to give themselves to Pharaoh as servants so that they can continue to receive grain from Egypt. So in the end... In the end, the Pharaoh ends up with all of the land of Egypt as his land and all of the people of Egypt as his people. And then on top of that, at the end of the famine, when it's time to replant, Joseph is the one who has the seed for planting. And he says, I will give you seed for planting, but you have to agree that 20% of your crops from now on come to Pharaoh. Joseph has acted incredibly, incredibly wise on the part of Pharaoh. And we might think at first that this is terrible. He's taking advantage of the people in a very difficult, difficult time. But the people, the people were glad. The people were happy to, to give. Verse 25 says that they are, they are gladly serving Pharaoh and gladly giving to Pharaoh so that they might live. Because this was the only way for them to, to survive the famine. So Joseph, in his wisdom and in his planning, has saved the people of Egypt. Not only has he saved the people of Egypt, he saved his own family. In addition to that, he has, he has increased exponentially the Pharaoh's power, expanding it expanding it through all the land of Egypt, beyond the land of Egypt, through all of that world. And so, the power of Egypt itself has been greatly, greatly increased because of Joseph's wisdom. But then look at verse 27. Verse 27, after talking about everything that Israel or, or the people of Egypt were giving up to Pharaoh, we read, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it. Like, don't miss that contrast. The people of Egypt are giving up their possessions. They're giving up their land, they're giving up their livestock and their herds and everything that they have, even pledging themselves. They are even bartering on their future. When we're able to plant, we will give you 20%. They are losing, and Jacob and his family are gaining in their possessions. It says, and they were, they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob the years of his life were 147 years. Incredible. The Egyptians are losing, losing their, position, their possessions out of money, giving up their land. Pharaoh is taking all of that, even taking them as servants. And, and here is Joseph, a foreigner. Here is Joseph, who was a slave. Here is Joseph, who was in prison, and he is made second in command in, in, in all of Egypt, second to Pharaoh only. And here is Joseph's brothers and Joseph's fathers, again, 
foreigners in the land of Egypt. They are brought in and they are given the, the, the most fruitful land in all of Egypt. The fat of the land belongs to them. Settle here. And when they settle in this most productive place, they are given freedom. And in that freedom, the Lord blesses them and they are fruitful and multiply and their herds are fruitful and multiply. This is God's blessing. And he's, he's blessing them all while taking away from the Egyptians. This is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing that God would, would order this. That, that God would make Israel blessed. That God would see a people multiply in a way like this. Jacob and his family were being treated better than the Egyptians. God was growing them just as he promised. God was moving to make them a great nation. Again, just as he promised, not just to Jacob, but as he promised to Abraham and to Isaac as well. Just as he had reminded Jacob in verse 3 of chapter 46 when he said, I am God, the God of your father." It's me, Jacob. I am with you, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. Incredible. One last part from this chapter, and that is seeing Joseph's dream finally fulfilled. Joseph's dream finally fulfilled. Chapter 47, verse 29. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh. Now that sounds really weird, doesn't it? Because it is really weird. But in that culture, it was like sealing a promise, right? Asking him to do that was sealing a, a, a promise. Um, they were making a covenant. He was asking Joseph to make a commitment to this, to covenant to do this thing. If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place, he said. I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Hebrews 11 calls this an act of worship by Jacob. Not that Jacob is worshiping Joseph, but that by faith in this moment, in this moment, Jacob is believing the promises of God. He, he, is, he is bowing not to Joseph here, but bowing in worship, worship of God in front of Joseph. He is asking Joseph to, to bury him in the land of Canaan. But, but he's asking him that as he remembers the promises of God. I will go with you, he said, to the land of Egypt, and I will bring you out. I will bring you out of Egypt, and I will bring you back to the land that I have promised, the land of Abraham and Isaac, the land that will be your people's. This is your home, and I will bring you back. And so Abraham, as he, is, as he is pleading with Joseph not to leave me, and Joseph covenants with him, I will take you home and bury you with your father's Jacob is bowing in worship before the Lord. 
But as he does, this fulfills finally the dream from chapter 37. The dream where Joseph dreamed that his brothers would bow before him and even his father would bow before him. Now that had come to be. Next week, we'll see that as we close out, that God fulfills even this last prom promise and the covenant um, that, that was made between Jacob and Joseph. So, so we stop here. Each week, as we go through this story, the story of Joseph, our goal has been to see it in its original context, right? This part of Joseph's story was written more than 400 years after the days that we're reading about. 400 years had, had passed, and Joseph's story is now being shared with God's people. This was being written to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the descendants of Joseph and his brothers, descendants who had been in slavery in Egypt for more than 400 years. 400 years. 400 years is a long time. 400 years in slavery, and yet they were descendants not just of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were descendants of the promise. They were descendants of the promises that were made to them. I will give you a land, Abraham, passing that on to, to his son and to his grandson. I will give you a land, and I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth, like the, the sands on the seashore, too many to count. I will bless you, and through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Here is the question for those, those freed slaves. Can we believe the promise? Could they believe the promises of God that they were being told? Could they trust the God of their fathers, the God of their fathers who had left them in slavery in Egypt, the cruelty of slavery in Egypt for more than 400 years? Could they trust him? Could he deliver them? Could he deliver them not just from, from Egypt and their slavery? Could he deliver them from the pursuing Egyptian army? Could, could he provide for them as they marched across the desert? Could he provide for their needs, the water they needed, the food that he needed? Could he provide? Could he through them defeat the giants who inhabited the land of promise that God said would be theirs? Could he bring down the walls of Jericho? I think, I think more personally than that, would he care for them? Would he care for them? Would he really be near to them? Would he? Would he know them? Would, would he know them like he knew Jacob? Would, would, would he know their fears? Would he know their, their worries? Would he know their weaknesses? And would he love them? Would he really love them? Was he really there with them? I think this story is meant to give us a yes to all of those questions. Yes, 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 
a thousand times. Yes, yes, he cares for them. Yes, he is near them. Yes, yes, he knows them and he loves them. Yes, he really is there. I think that's, that's the point for them. And I feel like we've said this every week. He is there, right? I think that's what this story is for, so that they would know that he is there and that he is faithful and that he is true and that he will fulfill every single promise that he makes, that he is there with them, that he's there with them. He was there in their slavery. He is there in their freedom. And here is... Here is the truth in all of that, the truth in the story and the way that it unfolds, the truth in, the, in God being faithful and true, the, 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 the fact that God was with Jacob, that God was with, with Joseph and all of those circumstances. The truth is this, our God is amazing. Our God is amazing, like indescribably amazing. There's nothing. That he can't do. There is, there is nothing, 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 nothing that he cannot do. Our God reigns over kings. Look at this story in the story of Egypt. Look at the story. Who made Egypt great? Was it the Pharaoh? It was God. It was God who made Egypt great. It was, it was God who raised up Egypt. It was God who, through Joseph, made Pharaoh even greater and stronger than he already was. It was God who gave them the riches and the power and the strength and made them a world power. And it would be God that would bring the Red Sea crashing down as they pursued his people. It was God. It was God, it was God working through Joseph's broken brothers, making, making Joseph a slave and a prisoner. It was God who would raise him up to second in command. Who could dream of such a crazy story? I've asked that before. Who could dream of a story this amazing? And then who could bring it to be? Only God. And only God could bring Joseph's family to Egypt and bless them above all of the Egyptians, sovereignly, graciously, wisely, placing them in Goshen where, where they would live in the most fertile land and, and, and where they would, they would have their herds, where they and their herds would be fruitful and multiply and grow. Only God could use the, the evils of Joseph's brothers and the selfish pride of Pharaoh to make this family a great nation. The real question for Israel and for us is this. Is there anything that he cannot do? Is there anything too great for God? And here, too, is, is the part that got me, I, I, I think, as I worked through these chapters again, looking back at his, his earlier interactions with Jacob. Most of us believe these things about God. Listen to me. Most of us believe these things to be true about, about God. I think that's why we're here. We, we, we believe that there is nothing that God cannot do. 
We believe that God is the creator and sustainer, as Genesis paints the picture of him. We believe that he can work through, through any evil, through evil brothers, through evil nations. God can work through any of them. We, 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 we believe that. We believe, at least in theory, in theory, that it's God who raises up nations and God who brings them down. We see his hand in the life of Joseph, and we are amazed, and we say, what a mighty God. And we see his hand in the lives of, of, of others all around us, and we are amazed, what a mighty God. There is nothing he cannot do. We believe in the God who is with them. We believe in the God who is for them. The God who is, who is out there. But we struggle to believe that that same God is with us and for us. We can easily say to others, man, God loves you and he is with you. And we cannot say it for ourselves. We struggle to believe that the Lord, that the Lord loves us. We struggle to believe that the Lord is near to us. Maybe it's just me. Struggling to believe that the Lord is with me. I believe Jacob felt that, that loneliness. And I think that Jacob probably struggled with the same things that I struggle with. And that's what makes this so beautiful. Here is God in his kindness coming to Jacob. Jacob, I haven't forgotten you. Jacob, I haven't forgotten you and I have not forgotten my promises to you. And I am here with you. Jacob, I am near. And I see you. I see you. The creator and sustainer of the universe sees me. I see you in your fear. I see you in your worry and your uncertainty. I see you in your weariness. Don't be afraid. Jacob, I am with you, and I will go with you to the land of Egypt, and I will not leave you there. I will bring you home. I don't think that message was just for me this week. I think it was for some of you as well. God is saying to us through the story of Jacob and Joseph, I am with you. I see you. I see you. I know your struggles. And I know your fears. And I love you. And I am near. And I will not leave you.
I should know this, right? I should know this not because I am the pastor. Not because I had a dream one night as an old man. I should know this because of Jesus. Jacob had only a promise and a dream. We have Jesus. I have Jesus. Jesus is the evidence that I am loved. Jesus is the evidence that we are loved. Jesus, Jesus is the evidence. If you are like me and, and find it easy to say that, that God loves others, Jesus is the evidence that he loves you. You are loved. Jesus is the evidence that, that, that our Father, that your Father desires to be with you. He doesn't just put up with you. He loves you and he wants to be with you. Jesus is the demonstration of that in his life, his death, his resurrection. Jesus is the demonstration that, that our Father is faithful and true. And these promises that he's made to us, 100%. I think the call to Israel was to see God, to see their amazing God and to believe. How much more should we believe? Not just from the story of, of Jacob and the story of Joseph, not, not just from the stories of, of, of dreams coming to be. But believer and unbeliever alike. We should believe because we have Jesus. That is our call, to believe, to believe that our Father loves us, to believe that our Father is near, to believe that our Father cares, to trust him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your, man, patience with me. Thank you for the beautiful reminder that you, you knew I needed to know that you were near. What an amazing God you are. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us today to believe, and not just today, but all the days to come that we would believe, and that when we doubt, Holy Spirit, you would remind us of the precious gift that our Father gave to be near to us forevermore, the gift of Jesus. We love you. It's in his name that we pray.